Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with candid conversations about cyber and tech-related issues with your host, Kath Nibbs. Do you know your GDPR from your ISO? Is your business cyber secure? If not, give agency a call on 03455 760 999. You can visit their website at www.theagency.com. An agency is with an I, not a Y. Welcome to this week's episode. And this week I'm joined by Tony Bean once more. um, And we discuss his latest book, which I've eventually got. So when I did the recording... um, uh, it hadn't arrived. Unfortunately, we are so far behind in uh, the United Kingdom. Anyway, here's the book. Um, it's absolutely, it's a fabulous episode. We talk about, um, again, how games are for good. Um, for those of you who can't see, I'm being slightly sarcastic here. Um, yes, games are brilliant inventions for working with children, particularly in therapy, which is what I do. Um, but they have such positive attributes as well as everything that you read in the the hyperbolic media um so this is an episode where tony takes us through um the discussions around existentialism projection grief music feminist issues uh misogyny i think we've got um embodiment that was something that i kind of talked about towards the end um it's a book i will be recommending to all psychotherapists uh in the united kingdom again who work with children because 99 percent of those children that you will be working with will have played a computer game at some point in time and this is your way of understanding games on yet another level um that will be added to his uh, other book um again you can, uh, I'm going to do the salesy part again, head over to Patreon. Um, again, please share, tweet, uh, rate, whatever it is you're supposed to do. Um, all that kind of self-promotion t- t- rubbish, whatever it is. Um, where am I at now? We've got a really good episode coming again um, after this one with uh, Rachel Cowart. That's another one about gaming and so on and so forth. Um, I, I hope you enjoy this episode. I love talking to Tony. Um, and as you'll find out, he may well be back about another book, um, which will be another awesome uh, addition to my kit over here in uh, the, the United Kingdom. Um, have a great week, everyone. <laughs> right okie dokies right three two one welcome to cyber synapse and again i'm joined by dr anthony bean and this time he's back for a second book that he's written so um just be aware that this could well be a regular uh thing that's happening because i believe you're also writing uh maybe some more and we might yes. co- we might come on to that um but today we're going to talk about um that your new book isn't it the, the psychology of zelda um, and that's linking our world to the legend of Zelda. So what you're actually doing is the other way around rather than kind of, aha. Nice. <laughs> well, as we just discussed, my copy is going to be late in this country because this is now um, early, early March and I don't get my copy till the 7th. So Which by the time weird. this, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. So by the time this goes out, people might be able to actually buy it direct off Amazon rather than, um, Although they might not get theirs as cheap as me because I pre-ordered. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, over here it's going for on Amazon like eleven fifty now. 
And I was like, great. Oh, it's just good. well, yeah, that's that's what we need. Books that are yep. selling. However, I do know the premise of the book and um, you know, obviously because we do kind of talk around on social media a little bit and I am watching what's mm-hmm. going on with what people are saying to you and um, uh, stuff in the background. So, why Zelda? Uh, so I'm just thinking the questions that I wanted to ask you, Tony, are why Zelda? Um, and how's the book set out? How will this help practitioners, parents, anybody who's interested? Because it's not about gaming and therapy, this book, is it? No, no, this one is not. This So this is completely on the Legend of Zelda video game. And the reason we did this is because this is by far my favorite, favorite video game. Um, even with the, the parents, uh, no, the clinicians guide that we did uh, last year, mm-hmm. um, my reward for finishing that book was Breath of the Wild. And I had it all ready to go. Special edition comes in a box, still got the box behind this wall, this door right here. Um, and it came with all sorts of tokens. And I have a little lamp, Legend of Zelda lamp. I mean, it's just it's insane what uh what kind of the, uh, happens with that and so this game had really kind of got me through my childhood um and anyone any game that's ever kind of come out i've always played the legend of zelda game and it's it's super important to me because it just it's so psychologically informed as all nintendo things are mm-hmm. and it's super important that we we talk about these types of things that video games are really really important in the psychological sense and they can be used not just in for a, cl- a clinician setting um, although clinicians would find a lot of use out of this book because it takes psychological theory and applies it to the gameplay yeah storylines and everything like that across a, a wide spectrum of of uh, psychological theory such as like feminism Jungian, um complete freudianism is a little bit in there uh post-traumatic growth pretty much there's a lot of good stuff that's in there and mm-hmm. This is uh, an attempt and I think a super successful one from everyone that I've talked to so far that has had the book and Zelda, people who have loved The Legend of Zelda, that this book is telling us why we love this and why it is important for us to pay attention to the psychological aspects of this. And by having us do this, uh, clinicians can actually use the the different um, ideas in it, such as like this one right here is like the hero and the villain archetypes of how does that in play upon the legend of zelda and by playing what are you playing as what are you defeating and how then can you use that in your clients because if you know about the game as as we've always talked about and you can talk to the person about the video game there can be a really important and impactful change overall yeah well Funnily enough, um, because this is going to be close to Jamie's podcast, um, I actually got got to a point where I was like, gamification, gamification, why did I want to ask you that? Uh, And it probably might not have been Jamie that I wanted to ask that of, Mm -hmm. um, because I think I just get my head so full of questions that I want to ask people. Um, So I think, what about, so you've got there the hero and the the villains. Mm -hmm. I'm quite interested. Yeah, it's becoming my podcast. I don't care about what anybody else thinks anymore. Um, So I... I'm quite interested in how how do people understand the hero's journey if they're not if they're not psychologically trained because it does tend to appear in lots. Of, I mean, it's in it's in one of my biohacking books as the hero's journey. It's it's something I'm quite uh, comfortable with, and I I kind of have that understanding in therapy with the with the children. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I'm trying to explain it to parents. So I wonder if you want to have a go. 
Oh, yeah. So explaining to the parents is a, a constant of what are they going to say? How are they going to receive this? Are they going to actually believe me? Or they're coming in thinking that their their kids are addicted and, and that video games are useless. And why do they even mm-hmm. bother uh, playing these games if they're not going to have any sort of real life uh, influences? And that's when I'm like, well, actually, um, kind of like the, the new nerd thing. that's like, um, actually, um, <laughs> one of the big things. And then we, we, talk, yeah. we talk about everything that the games can do like i have no business training on any level i don't have an mba i don't have any knowledge or a formal training on how to run a business or anything like that yeah i run two of them and one my my main one that i, I run which is a nonprofit, i uh, call the telos project here in the united states is thriving like it's we our intakes are booked all the way out into april right now and our testing mm-hmm. got just as far and that's because we provide a service that a lot of people need. And I'm just, I'm the one who runs it. I'm the one who manages the money, who manages all these other things. I yeah. didn't get training formal. I actually learned, mm-hmm. from, to be honest with you, the thing I keep on pointing back to is StarCraft. Is you don't go over your resources. You have multiple incomes coming in. And you work on lots of different levels to, to make sure as one stream ends, you have another one coming in and vice versa. And that's, yep. that's pretty much the mechanics of, of running a business. Mhm. Mhm. So so I'm I'm just thinking you know, well yeah parents. In fact what did go through my head then straight away Tony was a bit of a rant because this is just what happened. <laughs> this is what just happened. Yeah, why are we not doing this in the UK? Why are we having the absolute opposite? Why are we having so many clinics that are about addic- gaming addiction and and I'm sure I'm going to hold hold that one in that it's not a thing. Oh, yeah. Um oh, yeah. That's a whole 8 hour podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I shall. I shall temper and just hold that where it is. Um, but actually, I'm finding that, like I said to you when I did the the presentation at the um, Children and Young People's Conference not so long ago, that I was absolutely taken aback by the lack of knowledge around um, kind of the the well, for a start off, the image of me in the the um, master chief suit, and mm-hmm. even the males in the room who were in, I'm going to say their thirties, and you know, no idea. And when I said this happens with gaming and there's this kind of game and that kind blank. And I thought, yeah. what is go what is going on at the moment in terms of I know that your business is thriving really, really well. And what is mm-hmm. it about America and their understanding that games games are not these evil entities and they're certainly something to be embraced and used both parenting wise, therapeutic wise, um, you know self-regulation wise for you know the the average gamer who's supposed to be a 35 year old man in his underpants on a weekend yeah so so honestly um i don't know if it's anything to do with the united states because our push here which is american psychological association it's division 50 they're pushing for this addiction they're like this is great this is what we need this neurochemistry of uh, the dopamine hypothesis has been proven and blah this and i just talked to a a psychiatrist uh this week over at harvard um, and him and I were just because um, he did an AMA on Reddit late last year. And I, I challenged him lots of things on there. He goes, this sounds like this means we need to have a conversation um, about mm-hmm. this uh, over the phone instead of on, on Reddit because we're just butting heads clearly. And even, even over the, on, on the phone conversation, 20 minutes, he's like, I, you know what? I, I can see that we agree in some places and we disagree in others. That he was like, I disagree that I think that this is affecting the dopamine and the neurochemistry of people. And then they become addicted to it through a neurological point of view. And I was like, 
yeah, but then you could say the same thing from pizza, from football, from soccer, from all this stuff. Yeah. I said, so why are you just focusing on that? I said, I said, to me, it sounds like that's more of a sociological issue rather than a neurological. Wouldn't you agree? And he goes, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> I'm like, I just gave you some other things to think about. And you're like, you're still just, you're only working in the neurobiology model. It's, we can work on that over here, but we're also like, look at what we're doing. I can mm-hmm. tell you all of my clients that I see, and I have anywhere from 40 to 80 at any one time every other week, some of them weekly, that they come in specifically because of my expertise in video gaming and because we talk about what can they use in the game outside of the game on the same level. Yeah. And we've had people who have been in therapy before for, for months and years with other clinicians and they haven't made progress. And they're like, all right, well, let's, let's try this out. They come into us and we're starting to see progress four, four or five months in because they started rethinking the way they see about this stuff. And that's when the parents are like, ah, something's, something's different here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I quite like, so a couple of episodes ago, I can't remember how many it is now. Um, I interviewed one of my friends and we're both uh, biohackers and she was very, very poorly bedridden and she used Jane McGonagall's Super Better as a way to mm-hmm. um, gamify how much she could do per day, you know, what kind of tablets she needed to take and then what she would do that day in terms of exercise versus rest versus everything. Mm-hmm. And it became it became this element of gamification. And I'm, right. I'm kind of sitting there going, but did you know, so like to um I mean, my friend knows me, so um, we have this conversation separately. And I said, but did you know her sister's actually um, also psychologist, very, very well mm-hmm. informed in the neuro- in the kind of neurological and mindfulness um, arena. Mm-hmm. So if there was anything to be addictive, that would have come up in a conversation between them many, many years ago. Yeah. And my, my argument constantly is when people start referring to um, the dopamine issue, which came up in that. Uh, conference I was presenting at is actually well when you look at that in the brain and you look at the social engagement systems Mm -hmm. it's the same systems involved so you can't say that it's dopamine for addiction it's dopamine for social engagement and Mm -hmm. I suspect and this will bring us back to um chicks at me highs flow there will be an andamide vasopressin oxytocin and potentially Mm -hmm. some other chemicals around so you know let's let's have a look we're not that we're not that confident with brain data yeah, it, that's, it's not like all just mm. like, oh, I mean, like dopamine's the only thing we need to be paying attention to. Absolutely not. There, There's yeah. tons of other things that are going on. There's tons of other things that are also happening. Like when we work with the, the brain chemistry and with PTSD people, they very much heavily need to reactivate the amygdala in order to to stop the, the fight, flight, or freeze with us. Mm-hmm. And we, we, admit, we activate it and then we deactivate it in, in lots of different ways. And, and that is what helps helps the PTSD and them being able to take care of their limbic system again. So, I mean, that's that's a whole other thing to say, like, oh, the games have no good. Yes, actually, they do. Um, and, and then this is one of the things that we need to be, to be showing, like, it's not just one neurochemical. Never mind, yeah. like, the main ones that everyone, like, the five main ones that everyone always talks about. It's like, there's precursors, there's postcursors. It's like, what does this all kind of mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it would it it would actually eliminate. I mean, for me, there's something about when people do. Uh, I always have the two ironics. When people do gaming and addiction research, they tend to use it with people doing kind of games. You know, mm-hmm. it's like ironic. Give them a screen and measure what they're staring at, and then say, right. "Oh, look, they're addicted to screens." Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is, well, what about neurofeedback? What about biofeedback? Because they're usually, you know, games. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Anyway, it's, back to yeah. Zelda. Yeah, back to, <laughs> like back to Zelda. That's like a that's like a whole eight hour thing that we can <laughs> kind of like talk Wait. about and go down and like it was just it was just like it was a little bit sad to see uh you know someone a psychiatrist that is Harvard trained and stuff like that not being able to get outside of that, but also sees the good of working therapeutically on some level. And him and I definitely agree that if someone's going down that path, boundaries. You know, let's put some boundaries in place and see what happens. Yeah. And let's adapt because that's the whole point of therapy is not every one thing works for everybody. The way that I work with video gamers, um, I have my entire background to, to work from. A clinician who doesn't have that background is going to have a harder time working exactly from my, my standpoint. But it yeah. can be done with enough training and enough wanting to go in and explore these things. I would, yeah, I wonder if that's the, the fear factor in a lot of clinicians. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why I get almost... Um, in fact, I look like that cat meme. You know the one that's like <laughs> yeah. when when I say to people, "Yeah, I use computer games and I do it all the time." I've got you know the consoles and so mm -hmm. on, and 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 yeah, my it's like my daughter or my son's got gaming addiction. Bring bring them in. Let me have a yeah. go on a game with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're supposed Absolutely. to be sorting this. Um, yeah. So Zelda, it being a game. So I'm just thinking about what it is that I want to try and get out of this podcast because we've gone off on a tangent already. I know um, we've already, it's, it's going to be <laughs> one of those things, I think. Um, okay. So, I mean, you mentioned earlier, one of my fa uh, kind of favorite topics is the post-traumatic growth. Cause I think mm -hmm. at the moment the the current narrative across the globe is aces, 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 trauma, 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 uh, and people are stuck, stuck, stuck. And yep. no, they're not. I think there's something about post-trauma growth and that's what I really want to focus on. So I know Absolutely. that that's one of the, that's one of the chapters, isn't it? Around post-trauma yes. growth. Absolutely. And the, the idea of, of um, in order for us to get there, let's talk about a little bit of the idea of projection, psychological proje projection. Mm -hmm. So um, the idea, the, the whole psychoanalytic point of view of uh, projection is that when we meet someone, um, we project um, our own assumptions upon that idea. That's why that projection comes on. And that projection gets put onto someone and then reflected back to us on some level, whether it's true or not. And when it's not true, it's when we have an argument and we're like, hey, you don't really match what I thought you would be. And um, that's how we kind of meet new people, see who we like, see who we mix with, see who we don't mix with. Mm -hmm. So the idea with um, with that is at the end of the day or at the end of the meeting with this person, we have to what we call reclaim that projection, which means whatever we put on to this person of whether it's true or not, we have to take back in and then in our own psyche be like, hmm, that didn't really work out too well. I wonder why that didn't work out too well. Was it because I was like this? Are they like this? And, you know, that's that's called a, an interpersonal dynamic. So yeah. when we project that onto uh, video games, specifically Legend of Zelda, we project ourselves very hard onto um, Link. And the reason we do that is because he's the hero of the storyline, but also um, he's mute in, in the game. In the Nintendo 2016 article did a really important um, agreement that they chose to, to make him mute so people would actually project harder onto it and make him feel like they were part of the storyline, immersive much more. Yeah. So, in that case, at the end, of when we shut Zelda off, we have to reclaim that type of projection. Now, in all of the video games, Legend of Zelda, they all start off with him being orphaned on some level, whether it's orphaned from the loss right in the beginning, like a link to the past in Ocarina yeah. of Time. You just don't know anything about his parents. Or on another, another one, he is a pirate uh, on an island with the grandmother because he lost his parents. 
things like that. There's always the orphan playing off on this. Yeah. So everyone on some level psychologically has experienced what it means like to be an orphan, to be ostracized, to be kicked out of a group, to be the lone wolf in this area, mm-hmm. to, to feel like they've been bullied. That's the idea of the orphan. That's an orphan archetype. So when we play Legend of Zelda, we project ourselves onto Link, who is the orphan, and we play through the game in this capacity. Now, Link, in the idea of post-traumatic growth, he has to either, he has two options. He can either be held in fear and do nothing, or he can grow from this, this, uh, this idea. Now, the, the nature and the linear part of the game, which Nintendo does a great job with, is it forces the player to, to uh, go in that post-traumatic growth stage. However, mm-hmm. you also always have the option of not growing, of not going towards a storyline by just kind of staying and playing around with it. So by yeah. playing through the storyline, becoming powerful, rewriting your history, cleansing yourself archetypally, or just becoming part of the, the hero's journey, you are in fact growing from that PTSD. And so that is one of the things is the narrative is when we project ourselves onto Link, we have to take that narrative back um, when we reclaim that projection. And that's what causes that internal change. Yeah. Um, it reminds me very much of, um, now I can't remember if I'm going to get this right. Is it Kenso, which is growth from adversity? Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's kind of a, a martial arts yeah, term. Absolutely, and, and it's about actually. So when when the farmers had had the adversity of their you know of their land being taken back, they actually designed the weapons that then became what martial absolutely. artists now use as the size and and you know what the mm-hmm. turtles had. There we yeah, are, Ninja absolutely. Turtle. Those Ninja are turtles. those are the weapons. Yep, those are the weapons they had. Um, and when you were talking about the the orphan archetype that's disney isn't it that's pretty much every single Absolutely. Disney movie. <laughs> yeah it, it's it's called the the disney effect of, of what it is however disney claimed it yet star wars did it before disney and oh, other places yes. like this and so it, it's really in reality called the hero the hero's journey and some um, of us are slightly more exactly <laughs> yeah yep. and so yeah. and so that that's kind of the the idea is it, it comes under lots of different names it doesn't and this happens in psychology constantly if someone comes up with something new and they're like oh i'm gonna name this this and we're all like hey it's this over here and they're like no no it's not it's different and it's different because of this one thing and we're like mm, no that's not how that works <laughs> so um yeah it's a li- name no, no, it's a little bit like that with CBT. So people mm-hmm. will say, oh, do, do, do you do CBT, Kath? And I say, no, but I do something very similar. Yeah. And, and literally what it is is I'll use uh, transactional analysis and I'll say, okay, we're going to talk about what you think, feel, do. Well, yeah. put that into a different paradigm. Oh, look, it's CBT. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> in CBT, if you look at the history of that, it takes it from psychodynamic and psychodynamic takes from psychoanalytic and psychoanalytic yeah. takes it from Freudianism. It just... Everything is just being looked at in a different lens. Yeah. And it depends on the person in front of you. Sometimes we have to go with CBT and talk about those, those uh, irrational uh, thoughts and stuff like that versus a psychodynamic being like, wow, that sounds really powerful. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that, this is why I, I, I really like the fact that you wrote the book that you did for the clinicians on gaming because mm-hmm. actually all we are doing, for, and I'm thinking of my profession here, is looking at rather than playing in the sand tray or rather than playing running around the room or rather than painting we're actually doing it in a different format so for me the games are no different to any other medium um but there's something about i get to ask more questions and i get to ask i really kind of join the child in their in their world when they're doing something on a game that i don't always get from the sand tray that i don't always get from you know 
I mean, I don't know how many times uh, you, you kind of find this, but when I'm actually running around with a child, I may not understand the rules and I may do something and that child kind of completely disconnects and goes, oh, no, you can't mm. do that, Kath. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got it wrong. Whereas, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. it's to, but put him in a, a game and the rules are already there. It's almost like mm -hmm. the etiquette is already there. I know the rules of a platform game. I know the rules of a sandbox game, uh, sandbox game and... and and it's it gives me a chance to say to the child, so why did you do that? What was going on there? Where's that? And then I'm on the same path as them. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's it's much more immersive as the practitioner than it is sometimes in some of the other modes and mediums. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the, the, the big things that a lot of people don't understand. But even though like uh, somatic experience therapists over here, once they get the idea, because they work a lot with sand and touch and, and stuff like that, once they get the idea that, yeah, there's no physical touch in here, but there is a psychological uh, part to play that they would use in a sand tray therapy, they're like, I can use this in a very yeah. similar capacity, just not the same way. So I, you know, they have to go a little bit harder or a little, try a little bit more in some areas but it's not like they can't do it mm. well the, the explorations more visual isn't it you can actually see yeah. the cognitions behind a lot of them mm -hmm. so so I, I like watching um the lego star wars love watching what oh, children yeah. do on that so so funny because you're like how did you even see that all the way up there and they're like oh i knew about that from a long time ago and you're like where <laughs> and they're like right in the guy <laughs> oh, watched like, it. Yeah, yeah watched it on youtube but 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 even if, like in the lego games even if you watch it or learn about it, you still have to perform that action. And let me tell you, some of that stuff to get that perform that action is not easy. Um, yeah, well, you see, that's where my gaming skills let me down with my children when, when they were growing up. Because I'd, I'd be bashing against the set, a bit like the Dara O'Brien mm -hmm. um, comedy sketch where he said he was, oh, I can't remember what game he was playing. And he actually did a physical representation of him bashing into a wall, standing up, sitting down, standing up. Yep, absolutely. Yep, I know that. I know that one very well. <laughs> Yes. And, and that's, yeah. that's what we're just trying to do. And so that's why this is so important, oh. I think, for clinicians, because it goes underneath like unmasking grief, how we can use the Legend of Zelda to, to really hone in on on the ideas of grief through Majora's Mask or um, the projection on it, the idea of the personal shadow. I do the an archetypal chapter, obviously. Even the music is in here and the quest for meaning. Like we, we even, I was able to get some, some, fantastic feminists, feminist uh, writers in here. And let me tell you, this book would not have been complete without Melissa Huntley or Win Goodfriend. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where they brought a perspective that I was like, wow, there's no way in the world I would have been able, ever been able to, to do justice to this of what they did. Yeah. And that in itself is, is monstrous for the, the book. Well, that might be something that I need to do is contact them to um, mm -hmm. kind of talk about that. But do I'm I'm just thinking what would what part of the book would you like to to kind of really talk about because I'm thinking the hero's journey we we've sort of discussed yeah we've kind of discussed that um mm -hmm. Let, let's do the shadow, personal shadow, okay. because I mean that that's well, one aspect, and I mean like we can talk about all aspects, and trust me, we're gonna we're gonna ebb and flow across all the different chapters without yeah. really getting heavy heavy into it like the book does. But it's the, the, the wonderful thing about the book is it's written in a context where just a, a lay person, you just go to Barnes and Noble and be like, huh, that's an interesting cover. Let me just pick this up. And let's just say, 
Um, I'll just read the this one little thing right here. Fantasy play or make-believe and other related role-playing is an important part of life. A safe place is created by incorporating past experiences and knowledge and integrating them into the real world and its struggles through play. That itself oh. right there is very, yeah. very easy for someone to just who has no psychological background to pick this up and be like, I can understand this. And that's why we, we wanted yeah. to write it in that, in that aspect. So clinicians who have no aspect of the game, parents who want to know why their kid loves this game, or people who are gamers who have ever played this game can just pick it up and be like, this is great. I can understand this. This is going to mm -hmm. percolate and make me think differently about this. Oh, you've just used one of my favorite words at the minute, percolate. It's, nah, it's, it's so a good, good word. Um, so good. <laughs> I've actually had my coffee percolating in the background while I'm doing this. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So the. I mean, I. I absolutely adore the shadow. Into you are talking the Jungian shadow, light and dark kind of architect, right? Yep. So, this is something I try to describe to people. We are not a whole unless we can embrace. Um. So yeah. Over to you, Tony. All right. So <laughs> the Legend of Zelda, like as we've talked already a little bit about projection, is um the the idea of video games is they give a a literal representation to psychological material. Mm. And as you can actually play for it in like when we're, we're talking, you and I are talking about like all these different things. We're like, they're, they, they have no physical or uh, literal basis because we're just talking about their words that have different meanings. The game itself is a literalized archetype, is a literalized storyline where yeah. you can then play it and then you can understand it because you have experienced it directly. And what you experienced here, someone else 12,000 miles away is experiencing the same darn thing. And that's what yeah. makes it so important, that literal a bit. So the Legend of Zelda, throughout a lot of the different games, Link has to cleanse himself of not just um, his impurities of what we call uh, the psychological aspects of himself, but more also along the lines that he has to fight his, his own personal shadow, as we all do, in order to continue mm -hmm. to grow. We, everyone yeah. has a personal shadow within us, and it's the, the repressed, the parts of us that we don't like, the, the narcissism, the, the judgments, everything like that. So Link has to literally fight his shadow in lots of different areas, um, in different games. And it, that was what we call it, that literal representation of the shadow. But the most important thing, and I can say that this one specifically is for Ocarina of Time. And when you're in the, the temple, um, I believe it's the water temple, and you're going through this, this uh, big old part of, I'm thinking of the, the giant landscape, you enter this room, and this room is so massive. You're like, this is so weird. Like, how is this massive room in this tiny, tiny little space? Like, you're like, this just doesn't make sense. And... So kind of one of the things of, of what happens is you're going and you run towards the other end of the room and then you notice the door is locked and then you turn around and you see the dark figure in the center by a tree. And by that tree, um, you're like, who the heck is this? And so you go up and you notice it's, it's just mm -hmm. a black link with red eyes and you can go near him and it's perfectly fine because he doesn't do anything. And that's what we call that literal eye shadow. <clears throat> and he doesn't do anything until you take out your sword and you do the first swipe which is super symbolic to the, the representation that yeah. if you, you can't, you, if your shadow, if you don't engage it, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change. It will always be there. But if you take the stance to be able to manage it and to fight it and to engage with it in some capacity, you can then overcome it and incorporate that part of yourself to it. So based on the projection that we talked about earlier in the, 
the shadow of of link we then overcome who we who we are or our repressed parts and uh, purge ourselves in the water port portion of yeah. the, the temples i've just got shivers at that i know that is that is so bloody good because i'm just thinking about how how fantastic that is third person perspective for a child mm -hmm. to be able to do something and then recognize that part of themselves is healed and embraced and empowered and oh yeah wow yeah that's that's the amazing aspect of <clears throat> that's why we we did this book of because we took all of those different aspects those different portions of of the game and we were like let's talk about this let's build this together so someone can do that representation um and understand how how it has an important overlay and play into our lives and that's why we wrote the book in, in lots of different ways to was using theories so people can use it in different capacities. Yeah. Oh, I, I, for me, that that's that's succinctly just put. I cannot wait to read the book. Um, I, I'm really disappointed, actually, that I didn't get hold of it before we had the interview. And I kind of said to you, well, you know, it'll be here. Um, and unfortunately, I think we're what, maybe a month behind? Is it a month behind your sales? Almost, almost above a month. So if you came out on the seventh, it came out on February nineteenth. Hey. So yeah, you're looking about about three weeks. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I will soon have it, and um, no doubt it will crop up in uh, lots of the other <laughs> podcasts that I'm starting to do, because mm -hmm. um, I do have. Um, I've got Rachel Cower coming on now, um, so I think I'm beginning to get a little bit of it. I've got, I've got a little bit of a focus going on here that it's going to be kind of gaming related, mental yeah. health related. Um, and then I'm probably going to drop wonderful person. Yeah. yeah. I love her. Today. Oh, I'll make sure I'll make sure she hears that from this, but oh, I'll yeah. be like, here's a, here's a clip from this week. Yeah, no, no, she's <laughs> super great. Her and I talk like constantly. Um, yeah. and everything. We're, we actually, um, just got IRB approval to do a study together. Um, this. Oh, fab. Yeah. So we're going to do, um, an actual whole thing on the addiction and mental health and kind of, um, what we're hoping is going to happen, obviously, the data will drive the whole study, is that it'll show that people who play uh, video games have mental health components, and that mental health components more primary than second than the actual uh, addiction uh, paradigm of thoughts. And yeah, we're actually going to see like this is actually a mental health of a mood disorder thing going on rather than a, an addiction. That's what we're hoping, but we'll see what the data shows. Yeah. Well, I, I've I've just seen. I think it was on Twitter. Andrew Andrew Shvilsky's going out to Paris. I think it is to do another talk on. Um, I, you know, there's so much happening at the moment. Um, but obviously, I'm involved in other stuff, and I've got my focus, and it isn't to do with addiction or, um, you know, gaming disorders and the other things that I really wish people would just drop. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I have. Uh, Not but, for a while. Not for um, a while. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Actually, I I am being sarcastic there. I also understand why people have particular perspectives, and it's again, it's driven by quite often reductionistic approaches. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm quite interested in the feminism aspect. Whether you'd be able to talk on that? Yeah, I will never do it justice. I'll I'll warn you on that yeah. because the, yeah. those two do a fantastic justice, and so I'll touch on the the aspects that I can I can definitely talk about. But they they talk uh, in the in the book about benevolent sexism about. Um, treating women as uh, delicate flowers who can't who can't stand up for themselves, which all of us are like, well, that's not right. Um, and so the the aspect that I really like that they took was the the rise of the Legend of Zelda, uh, of Zelda in the 
games itself because she always started off as this princess who needed to be saved and this delicate white flower um, of it and through the benevolent sexism eyes. And as she's progressed through these games, especially in the newest one, the um, she has changed dramatically. She has become much more powerful to the point where we're almost all clamoring here at this point. Be like, let's do, let's let's play as Zelda. Let's be this person mm-hmm. because yes. she came out in Breath of the Wild, and she is like a, a scientific engineer at this point. Like her dad, there's there's clips and everything. So spoil alert. Um, that uh, her dad tells you, like, you need to focus on, on this and your princess duties. You need to be a princess. You need to be doing this. There's a video of her saying, like, grudgingly, like, in her room, being like, blah, that's blah, that. And <laughs> there's also uh, a, a memory video in there of her saying to Link, who, who's following her to protect her, saying, to, saying directly to him, I don't need you to save me. I don't need you to protect me. I don't care what my dad says. You don't need to do this. We need to research this. And so she's coming into much more of a scholar, much more of that huge and important feministic point of view of we're not just some dainty thing to, to be saved. We're, we're something much more important that we have to be talking about that stuff. And I think that Nintendo does an amazing job. If you just look at across all the different games of where, the, where she's come, and I'm super excited to see where she comes into the next, this next one. Mm-hmm. Well, it takes away. There's two. Uh, one thing popped up about one of my clients actually, which when um, I've put in put into my book actually is an argument mm-hmm. about why why it isn't addiction and why it looks like a normal process. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. I was just thinking then that there's something about um, kind of the way that Zelda becomes this. Um, I'm trying not to use words I get accused of being so feisty <laughs> and feisty and um, outspoken mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things that actually that often happens for a lot of the young girls, particularly in therapy for me. Mm-hmm. And I do find in the, the gaming, let's go the gaming world, that the numbers of female gamers is increasing. So actually yes. it's being seen less and less as the delicate, oh, let, let her just have that headshot. Let her just win that so-and-so. Let her get mm-hmm. the flag. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it, is, it is a bit of a shift in terms of what I'm seeing and hearing in the gaming world because there's lots and lots of young girls now playing games like Zelda. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and they're, they're, they're seeing these, things, these people come out. And even when I work with clients who, who don't have the, the Legend of Zelda knowledge, I always, and they bring up something that like happened. I was like, you can't let that happen. I said, you need to go and kick that kid in the balls. I said, that's, that's, that's not appropriate. I said, there's no reason that you should ever have to put up with that. Um, I said, that's sexism. That's sexism. That's uh, treating you like an object. And I said, you need to get up into whatever sort of energy you have to. And you just need to turn around and slap the little crap out of this guy. I said, mm. there's, there's no point for this. Well, I mean, it says a lot for Nintendo designing the games. And, and that's mm-hmm. one of the things I used to. Um, so I was uh, lucky enough to go down to their 3DS launch, which ah. I, I must admit, could never get my eyes to focus up. That used to do my head in. Um, in terms of couldn't couldn't get the perspective on the the mm-hmm. Nintendo DS, but actually they're not a bunch of these goofy nerdy. Actually, they've got a really good grasp of what's happening in the world and life to be able to yeah. design games like this. Mm-hmm. And um, they take it, and they're ahead of the game as on a lot. And I think they're ahead of uh, Microsoft and Sony on their their game creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of storyline and, and what it is to engage in the game, it's a lot <laughs> It's a lot better than the kind of... Um, I'm just thinking what I used to play when I first started. So the Hobbit, pickle packs, yeah. drop packs, yep. pickle packs, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> God, what an infuriating game. Um, uh, 
But I, I, I must admit, that's what that's what popped into my head was the the young boy who had been playing Legend of Zelda, and we were talking, young 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 lad, and his mum came in and said, "Oh, basically this weekend he's flipped out, he's kicked off, broken this, broken that, broken the other." So I said, "Well, what what happened?" And he said, hmm, "You tell her." You know, all right. So the mum says, uh, "Well, Dad gave his uh, Nintendo to his cousin, and he wiped his game." And I went, oh, "How many hours?" And the little lad went, three thousand." And I said, "Oh no!" And he said, "Yeah, but he clicked new game." Mm-hmm. And I said to the mum, "Do you realise what this actually means?" Mm-hmm. No, I said. So me me and this young client are now talking about he's got to watch the videos all over again. There's no skipping them. He's got mm-hmm. to he's got to do every single task all over again to get to where he was. And that's because yeah. of the way that this is, uh, you know, the way it saves on this particular device. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, still, it was very difficult for the parent to actually understand what it was I was trying to explain because she just thought it was one of those instances where you could just start again and it was fine. You'd just go back to where you were or it wasn't as difficult. And and I said, no, there's a lot of computational power, a lot of emotional power that's gone into doing this. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. gone. <gasps> ah. Yeah. I, f- I felt the grief for the child of the game that had gone. <laughs> oh, how how terrible for him. Yeah, and, exactly. And that's what I feel is, is so that 3,000 hours gets seen as, you know, well, that must have been gaming addiction because look how many hours they'd accrued. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but, but there's a there's a big switch in, in our in our research, too, that um, that gaming addiction isn't based on time anymore. It's based no. on what's, what's going on, which we're like, that's a positive. However, you guys still haven't delineated appropriately what is gaming addiction, which is high, and what is um, appropriate, what is not appropriate. And you still leave it up to all these different people to make their own distinction. And we're all like, this is, this is not good. Like you're yeah. leaving it up to clinicians who don't have the training or who don't have the ability to, to understand the storyline, aka why we're trying to do more of these series. Yeah. So people can, can do that. Will you will you be doing any other games in particular then, Tony? Because I know you must have a, a personal investment in in Zelda if it's your oh yeah if it's if it's your game. Definitely, I am. I want to do Final Fantasy next. To be honest with you, um, I think that that would be a wonderful thing because literally the title of the game itself is this was Squ- um, I think it was SquareSoft at some point. Um, this was their last game. They bet all of their money on this last game. That's why it was called Final Fantasy mm-hmm. because there was nothing past this. The company was broke and they did it and the game just became an instant hit. And ever since then, it's just yeah. kept on going. Well, it, it, for me, it's got the same kind of um, fan following as, as Zelda. If I, yeah. if I look at, mm-hmm. um, so some of the people I used to work with um, before I became a, a therapist, they, you know, they make their own props. They go out to Japan. They're constantly. I mean, sometimes she, she is uh, one of my friends. She's putting pictures up. And I haven't got a clue who they are. Mm-hmm. In fact, that was my confession the other week. I have never played it. Ah, it's it's a long oh. game. Like you want to throw some hours down on that. Those games are long. But let me tell you, the the uh, like Rachel Cohort, um, she'll talk a little bit about uh, if you get her going on Final Fantasy. It's her favorite game, and she'll write a chapter in this book once it gets approved. Um, that they that the entire journey is backwards and she'll talk about that and all that wow. type of Ooh. stuff she's super super insightful on that 
Yeah, I like I like the graphics. I do like the music. So that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things is the music then transitions into other other areas, doesn't it? So sometimes exactly. I might have Spotify on while I'm while I'm typing, and it's just it'll pick up pick up music in the background because one of one of the spine chilling ones for me is the Halo music. Yeah, love it. Oh, love it. Full orchestral. Oh yeah, yeah love it. That. And Skyward Sword did the same thing with Legend of Zelda. Is they mm-hmm. uh, like I I have the disc over there and it comes with the whole CD of all the music. Yeah. So isn't it amazing how we've gone from games to real life to music? I'm just mm-hmm. thinking this is what this is what I think people could really do with understanding. It isn't yeah. just about it isn't just about the physical thing of pressing buttons and looking at a screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not just about wasted mm-hmm. time. It's not mm-hmm. just about um, dedication of hours. Is there's journeys. There's aspects of this that we can play um, when we go to PAXs and we present there. We play little clips of music and uh, from Legend of Zelda when we were doing the Zelda panels, and we we literally. We're playing music and every, you just see everyone's eyes just be like, oh, wow, this is, is bringing up those memories of mm-hmm. opening that treasure chest of what does this mean? Of where were you at this time? How does this this information, this this uh, musical notes spark that memory for you? And that's super, super important. Well, uh, well, um, you being a, a clinician as well, we'll we'll obviously know that that's because it's an emotional and associative mm-hmm. memory. And this exactly. is what this is what we do. We thrive on good positive associative memories exactly and, and well, so like those those people who uh, like i was on a, a podcast last week and they were talking about what about the people who turn down the music and don't do it and i was like I, I think they're not getting the full experience of the game and they're not going to be able to to really understand they're like well it's annoying i'm like well it's annoying because it's telling you something and you've got to listen and mm-hmm. that's that's like this whole conversation is you have to listen to the subtext of it you have to see how does it uh, play its role? How does it um, uh, develop itself into, into your life, your play style? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think it was a Prince of Persia um, that my, my roommate in college really, really liked playing Prince of Persia 2. And the reason is, is because every so often in the game, you'd get chased by the end boss and you just appear out of nowhere. And to to him, the music that would immediately start playing, and he's like, oh, crap, something's coming. He's like, oh, where's it coming from? Where's it coming from? Yeah. Um, it was Metallica Sandman for him. And he said that it kind of reminded him of, of that. And he goes, so whenever I heard that music, he goes, I know that the end boss is coming and I need to bolt my butt going forward. That's, <laughs> that's the type of stuff that he that we, we thrive on as gamers. Well, or, or actually, as just happened then, you happened to mention Metallica Sandman, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, now you're talking my genre. Now we get exactly. into the rock music, yeah. and just... mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's the type of stuff that that these these musical memories based off of just not just the gameplay, but mm-hmm. the music. It's like it's all interconnected. And when yeah. we talk about this and we bring upon those those elements into the therapeutic uh, context. The whole game, the whole thing, everything changes. Yeah. We can talk about anything you want, and that gamer is now being like, "I'm heard. I can do this. How do I work with this now?" And it's super, in my opinion, I'm granted my generation growing up with video games. Um, it's it's really uh, quite simple, I think, to to discuss those types of uh, games in the the types of archetypes that video gamers have, and what can they do to to manage it. Well, for, uh, for me, I think what what I might just sum up actually in, in terms of the book is for many of the children who in this country never, ever get to see a therapist because of um, socioeconomic status, mm-hmm. um, parents' commitment, 
or right. they're living in a family that's surrounded by trauma and distress and so on. Actually, these games may well give them that one experience of succeeding and one experience of being liked and one experience of actually engaging with mm -hmm. other people. For yeah. me, that is so precious. It's so precious. Um, and I think sometimes that's where my passion to try and describe this to people is, you know, forget about what we're seeing in terms of the, the uh, negative effects that we're saying are over here. Mm -hmm. But you think about that one child who's got chaos around them at home yeah. and they get to sit there and engage with a game like this. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just thinking about kind of embodying the projection and then becoming that person that goes to sleep on a nighttime thinking today I succeeded. Mm -hmm. It's funny you use that word because you want to know what the first chapter is. Uh, I don't know because <laughs> I've not read the book. I know it's called <laughs> Buying the Virtual Hero: A Link to Self. Oh, well, yeah. it's almost like I—it's almost like I had a, an intuitive calling to know that almost that was like, in there. It's almost like there's an archetypal feel to it. Huh? Um, Crazy, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not—I'm not Jungian trained, although yeah. I—I do find a lot of the time talking with the children particularly and, and this is why i love the sand trait is it is pretty much symbolic and jungian and and mm -hmm. so for me that there is that's what i work with is the archetypes and even though i'm not classically trained in that discipline it's for me there's no there's no difference whether i'm talking to somebody and we're talking about the history or the story or whether we're doing it playing whatever it is yeah but yeah yeah, it's it's almost like I have experience of playing the games and embodying these kinds of characters within myself. Anyway, you know the kind of feisty, um, successful non nonlinear princess. <laughs> which did do very well for the final chapter on the feminism, which we wanted to end on a strong point. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Yes. So, um, I I don't even know how long we've been going again, but I do know that it's it's within it's about. 45 50 minutes this time i think um mm -hmm. now it's dark o'clock here in the uk and um it's nearly my bedtime so i'm going to uh yeah just thank you once again for for spending this time with me with Absolutely. you know with the internet that's held out it has held out it's <laughs> i am so impressed yes right um yeah no, don't let me curse myself there on on that one so i'm gonna i'm gonna thank you so much tony again and um have a wonderful afternoon uh over in sunny yes. yeah yeah well it's i mean it's what now quarter past 10 okay it's only quarter yeah, past four quarter, here so quarter yeah quarter past 10 at night so i think i shall go and make myself a hot cocoa and and sound like i'm a really responsible adult that sounds yeah i mean that sounds great i mean it's, it's rainy outside here so maybe i'll just make hot cocoa too yeah <laughs> okay thank you very much no problem thank you this podcast was edited by rory kavanagh an audio enthusiast and music producer.